Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolfe. This year's legislative session seems to have multiple bills every single week that would impact our schools, districts, educators, families, and students if passed. The fast pace and volume are even faster and heavier than expected. The proposed legislation includes opportunity scholarships or vouchers, a new approach to funding schools through a weighted student funding formula, and significant changes to funds moving from districts to charter schools. We are pleased to be joined by those who will implement and be directly affected by new legislation and policy, including district leaders and parents. Our guests today are Kathy Spencer, the Executive Director of the Southeast Education Alliance, Dr. Matthew Cheeseman, the Superintendent of Beaufort County Schools, Steve Curtis, the Finance Officer and Director of Auxiliary Services in Pamlico County Schools, and Susan Book, a parent and public school advocate. We are so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Kathy Spencer, Executive Director of the Southeast Education Alliance, Steve Curtis, the Finance Officer and Director of Auxiliary Services with Pamlico County Schools, and Dr. Matthew Cheeseman, the Superintendent of Beaufort County Schools. Thank you all so much for joining us. So we have a lot to talk about today, um, but I'd like to start just by asking you, as leaders in school districts in the region, what are you hoping to see come out of this legislative session to support your students, your educators, your schools and your community? And Matthew, I'd love to start with you. I think specifically, we'd love to see just really an awareness of Eastern North Carolina and what it truly means to be in Eastern North Carolina, whether it's in the Northeast region or the Southeast region, but really looking at um, some of the hardships that some of our school districts face, including Booker County Schools, when it comes to statewide funding, um, statewide initiatives, but also local needs. Um, so to really hear what the voices are of the constituents here in Beaufort County, along with those of our neighbors, I think that's one really big thing that we're trying to key in on is what does it look like, sound like, and feel like for everyone in Eastern North Carolina when the state adopts a budget? Thank you so much. And I know we'll dig in more to some of those specifics, but it's such an important aspect. Um, you represent lots of people in a large part of our state. Um, so Kathy, you work with over 15 districts in Eastern North Carolina, but you've also been a superintendent and I know you've worked with districts nationally. What are you hearing and seeing in terms of how this legislative session may or may not lead to what your districts need? Obviously, funding and the message that we send with both funding and just the overall picture of public education, not only in the state of North Carolina, but across this country is huge. So when Matthew talks about Eastern North Carolina, one of my biggest hopes is that we move into a much more collaborative space between school districts, communities, local delegates, and state leadership. This should be a shared look at how we can better serve all communities, not just a few. So hopefully our local delegates are going to be really strong voices for those, um, every one of those communities, as uh, Matthew shared, in terms of what their community needs and that the state leadership will be collaborative in looking at that and making decisions. So one area that we're hearing a lot about is the expansion of opportunity scholarships. And these are basically vouchers that families can use towards private or parochial school tuition. And 
There are many bills filed around this, but what we're seeing is a dramatic increase in how much would go towards vouchers. In a couple of years, it would rapidly be up to a billion dollars in most versions of these bills. So Steve, I know you're the finance guy and you understand how all this works. How might this expansion of opportunity scholarships affect your schools and your district? Well, we, uh, we obviously, anytime you have a, a program like the scholarship program, uh, that's money's being taken away from public schools in North Carolina. Uh, and I know it gives parents an option, but uh, we don't want it to be an option at the cost of public schools. And especially in Eastern North Carolina with, with small rural districts like we are, it really hurts. I mean, and especially with some of these new bills that pretty much eliminate just where in the you know, way it is now, um, EC students that are, that, are, that are categorized as exceptional children are eligible to apply for those funds. But I know in some of these new bills, it, it just is for everybody. Anybody that wants to do it regardless, um, you know, can apply for those funds, whether it's a private school or a, you know, a religious affiliated school. Um, so, you know, we, we're not against that, but we definitely don't want, uh, you know, our funding cut. So that program could be funding, funded, you know, at a higher level. And Steve, one piece I want to add too is that these bills almost universally take out any income requirement. So no matter how much income a family has, they would now qualify. It used to be very limited in terms of um, who had access to that. Matthew, we're seeing from a lot of rural districts in Texas a fear of hurting their communities because of the roles that schools play. And it's not one political party or another when we look at these Texas rural leaders standing up, it's across the board really just saying, this is gonna hurt our communities very badly. I'm wondering what you anticipate being from rural North Carolina, and let's not forget that 80 of our counties, of our 100 counties are rural, so you're, you're, you're not alone in this either. Right. Well, there are many times that um, I believe our state legislators believe they're doing what is best for all. And at times they leave out your local communities, including your county commissioners. And oftentimes rural school systems are funded even at the local level based on ADM. So in short, as you may have this population of movement um, that may actually impact our local funding as well based off of loss of students, but you may actually create an imbalance in schools, especially in rural North Carolina where we are. Um, where those who have the means to move versus those who don't. And so in short, it, it becomes not just a, an education issue around the quality of education that you provide in the school, but it may in some circumstances boil down to the sustainability of the school based on the population that remains. And can you locally afford to do so? And so never like to use the word consolidation. I usually try to say combination. But if in fact, those families and students who have the means to get up and move somewhere else, um, you could in fact see less funding coming into your public schools locally as well. And that, and that puts your county commissioners in a place of hardship as well. We have a lot of accountability measures in our public schools, right? That we watch and we share publicly so people know how our schools are doing. And unfortunately, these opportunity scholarships and some of the recent bills, there's never been much accountability around them.
Kathy, I wonder if very briefly you could share what that means in terms of all these public dollars going to vouchers. Right. So Marianne, you know, there are a lot of different messages around this process of providing choice. And, you know, we want all North Carolina students and families to get everything that they need for their family. However, if we look at this program, even um, as early as 2016, when the program began that forward funding model, the number of scholarships that are being awarded has never fully expended all of the dollars being put into that pot. Um, now, the number of scholarships has increased every year, so we know that more students are taking advantage. But in 19, in the calendar year or the school year 1920, there was $18.5 million that went forward in that pot. And the way the legislature has it set up, they're putting at least 10 million in every year. So that's a lot of money that's coming from somewhere. And uh, while we don't want winners and losers in this, we need for the public education system to get the funding they need, just as the legislature wants the um, voucher and school families to get what they need. So we, we're not looking for an either or. We're looking for if you want this to work, then you have to fund both at the level that it needs to be funded. Thank you so much. We will be back after the break to continue this discussion. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning. Welcome back to Education Matters. Another area with legislation pending is around weighted student funding formulas. Mm -hmm. And just for our viewers, currently districts receive allotments um, for positions. So teachers, principals, bus drivers, based upon the number of students in their districts and other factors. Um, this new approach would allocate a particular amount of money for each child, depending on certain characteristics. Um, Steve, I'm going back to you to start here with the, as the finance person. How would a shift to weighted student formulas impact your schools and district? Everything that we're hearing uh, is it's going to negatively affect our allotments. Uh, I'll be honest with you, the idea of this Senate Bill 670 being introduced, you know, in this, this spring it could potentially be law July 1 scares me to death because it's, uh, I mean, this is a drastic change and shift of funding for public schools. You know, right now we get anywhere from 20 to 25 separate pots of money from the state of North Carolina that are earmarked for certain things. But if they just combine all these together, um, we just want to make sure that if this happens, that we get adequate funding and we're not cut. Uh, and there's some indication that that may happen, that we will get cut in funding. And I mean, in, in Pamlico County, we can't afford that. I mean, the, the state allotments are our biggest percentage of funding, you know, for our school district. And so if we lose any kind of substantial amount of money in state allotments, that's going to hurt us very bad. How would you recommend the state approach a significant shift like this um, that involves a lot of people? In Beaufort County, based on the weighted system, we project that we would lose nearly $1.3 million of funding. And that is absolutely crushing in a rural school system. And for other districts in the eastern part of North Carolina, they could lose anywhere between that and up to 10 to $13 million based on their size and, and population. 
in a weighted system. So there's ha there have been conversations about how a weighted system really, once again, um, brings out the areas of poverty and what that looks like. And this may not be the best opportunity for those areas and those school systems. Uh, I'm not certain in this moment of our current conversation that every legislator knows how their individual community would be impacted by a weighted system right now. So I think there needs to be larger conversations at the state level with local employees and, and those who govern to make sure they truly understand the impact of a, of a weighted system. What do you want our listeners to know and, um, and, you know, and also policymakers to know about what this means for kids every day? We really need to be more um, collaborative in this space. We need to have conversations about how we make sure all students are provided. In the Southeast region, 15 school districts, four of them, based on the most accurate data that I have today, four of them would have a least a hold harmless an increase with a weighted formula. 11 of them would lose their funding at the current level. And we know that the current level is not giving them all that they need. But goodness, it certainly is the floor to what they've had up to this point. So to yank the floor out from under would just be really, really difficult for them to come back with. I believe that we have the opportunities and people in place to make this work. We've just got to be very intentional about it. From the classroom all the way to the boardroom, we do have some really strong proponents for our education work in this state, and we've just got to keep it moving forward. Thank you all so much, and I just appreciate your varied perspective, Steve, from the finance side, Matthew as a superintendent and Kathy working across many districts. It's great to have you here today. We are now glad to be joined by Susan Book, a parent and public school advocate. Welcome, Susan. When you learned about Senate, the Senate and House bills around expanding our state school voucher program, what stood out to you as a parent? The first thing that stood out to me was the sheer amount of money that they were willing to spend on the private sector and yet we have so many needs in our public schools, and yet we're willing to spend so much of our money on a private sector. It shocked me because of just the high needs that are there, but it felt like a really big step backwards for families like mine. Families like mine in the 1960s and the 1970s fought really hard for the right to attend a public school with their peers. And it wasn't until 1975 that disability families actually won that fight. Seeing us move back to putting disability children um, back into a private sector, back into homeschools, felt like a step backward and not a step forward. We know that some of this legislation will soon lead to over a billion dollars a year in vouchers, um, even though we leave some of that money on the table right now that is not being used. Um, can you speak a little bit to the opportunities and the services available to students with learning differences in the public schools and how that compares to private schools? So at a public school, you can get a diagnosis. You can actually get evaluations done on whether your child might have a learning difference, whether they might have a disability like autism or ADHD. And then that triggers 
a wealth of hopefully services um, that can range from having a speech therapist come visit your child. Um, that can they can take them out of the classroom and have a private session there, or they can actually build in your speech therapy within your classrooms. That goes for occupational therapists as well. Um, my son benefits from a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so my son has an aide that goes with him and helps him access a general education curriculum, wherein if he didn't have that aide, he would be stuck in maybe a more segregated classroom that was more specialized. But because he has someone who helps him with his anxiety, his inability to maybe take notes, he can access an, an entire curriculum that he may not have had access to without that aid. And if I'm not getting the services and resources I need, I have recourse. I can move that up to a, a chain of different people to make sure that my son is getting everything that he needs. Right now, a large amount of those opportunity scholarships actually go to private religious schools. And so those requirements do not funnel through necessarily to those private schools, and that can make a big difference. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how these bills, as they describe expanding school choice, what would you like to see when it comes to school choice? I want the choice to know that when I move schools, that that school is going to have the resources and the services that my child needs. That's the choice that I prefer. I, I want every child in North Carolina to have opportunities, services, and resources at their fingertips. And that doesn't come with an extra cost to those parents. We forget that sometimes in the private sector, sometimes these schools that might say, we, we, we serve our disability students, but it comes at a premium. That aid at a private school would cost me $15 an hour. I may not have access to an OT or a speech therapist that would also come out of my own pocket privately and not free from the school. All those services I named in the public school come at no extra cost to me as a parent. And that's amazing. We are in an impossible choice when yeah. our schools are not funded. We are putting parents in an impossible choice. On one hand, we can go to a private sector that does not support us, that takes away our rights. But on the other hand, we are in a system that is so badly funded that our kids aren't getting the services they need. It's hard to fight for those rights unless you have a lot of privilege and a lot of time. And so we're stuck in the middle, not knowing what to do. Susan, thank you so much for what you do and for lifting up voices that may not be heard. Um, we know how important um, parents are in our education system as well as students, and you certainly make sure that we're hearing from both. So we really appreciate you being here. After the break, this week's final word. There are a few days that go by that I don't have a moment of appreciation for the beauty around us in North Carolina. The trees, the hiking trails, the flowers, it's quite amazing. I seem to notice it even more lately as spring has taken its time. As I had another of these moments recently, I was struck by the juxtaposition of this beauty and what is happening in our state government. It does not matter what political party you support. It does not matter what your key issues are, mine being education, or what zip code you live in, 
The policies under consideration will impact your community for years to come, and it's critical that we all pay attention. So far in 2023, the North Carolina Supreme Court has reversed multiple decisions made by its prior majority, driven by partisan politics rather than judicial precedent. Over 1,600 bills have been introduced so far in our legislative session, 1,600, with many of them having the potential to make dramatic changes to our governance structure, reproductive rights, transgender rights, access to medical care, and funding and support for public education. We are at a place where we have to decide what we want for this beautiful special state, and I have a few questions for each of you. Do we believe in democracy with a separation of powers and checks and balances? Over the past few months, our Supreme Court, which is now selected by partisan election, decided to reopen and change the ruling on several cases that were decided only this fall. Recently, the Supreme Court decided to uphold voter ID requirements, allow gerrymandered voting districts, and remove voting rights for some citizens. And they will soon reconsider the November 2022 ruling in the Leandro case that would require the state to comply with the constitutional requirement to adequately fund public schools. Do we believe that taxpayers should fund private schools? Both chambers have introduced legislation to expand the Opportunity Scholarship School Voucher Program, which would allocate over half a billion public dollars at a minimum annually to subsidize private or parochial school education for any family in North Carolina, regardless of their household income. Students from low-income families have already have access to vouchers under the current program, which receives about 133 million in state funding. A significant portion of the new funding for this program would likely go towards wealthier children who are already attending private schools. More than 90% of students currently receiving vouchers attend religious schools, and schools receiving vouchers are allowed to deny admission to students based on religion, beliefs, sexual orientation, gender identity, or academic performance. Private and parochial schools receiving public dollars are held to very minimal reporting and accountability requirements, making it nearly impossible for parents, community members, and policymakers to have information about their performance. Do we care about our rural communities? Rural communities in Texas and other states have opposed legislation that would send public dollars to private schools, arguing that vouchers would decimate their schools. In North Carolina, 80 of our 100 counties are rural and should take note of those concerns. In these communities, the school district is often the largest employer and public schools are the hub of the community. People come together for Friday night football games. The school auditoriums are the main cultural outlet and students have opportunities for college and career pathways that support the local economy. With school funding already in short supply, our rural communities would be disproportionately harmed by vouchers that would redirect critical resources to private schools. Do we value each person in our state? Many different pieces of legislation under consideration are specifically designed to limit talking or teaching about our history, race or racism, and gender or sexual orientation. While private schools that accept vouchers may limit the kinds of families, educators, or students who are at their schools, our public schools are designed and required to educate every child. Students and families fear what could happen if these pieces of legislation are passed. I hope that each of you will ask yourself these questions. Please pay attention to what is happening before our eyes. It does not matter what party you are in or even who you voted for. 
The full impact of these proposed changes would be devastating. We would not have the democracy we cherish. We would not have the schools our kids and families deserve. We would not attract businesses to the state. I encourage you to ask a lot of questions of the people you entrust with leading our state. Thank you for taking the time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.